Hello, Northwest. Hope you're having a great weekend. I want you to take your Bibles, turn to James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. That's James 5, 13 through 20. I have a question. Actually, I've got two questions for you right now. What is the purpose of the church? And what is your purpose? What is the purpose of the church? And what is your purpose? Here is the key. The key is found in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, to answer the first question. Actually, both both questions. Jesus looks at the disciples, those 12 that are following him, and he says, hey, listen, I want you to go and make disciples. I think we could break that down and really say that the purpose of the church and the purpose of us as individuals, as follower of the God of creation, is to do this, is to go make disciples who make disciples. We want to be a disciple, but we also want to be a disciple who makes other disciples. We want to pass this on. It, it, we want it to be multiplied. Jesus demonstrated that. Jesus told us that, hey, my power is going to go with you. Lo, I will be with you to the ends of the age, is what he says in Matthew 28, um, uh, 20, verse 20. And what James is saying, in essence, is the same thing. He fleshes it out. What a disciple who makes disciples should look like and what they are. And he also really wants to confront those who believe they're disciples, but they really aren't. And, and so in over, chap, over five chapters, James comes really, really face to face with those who confess to be believers to really encourage them. Hey, listen, I, I really want to make sure you know what you're doing and what you're about and what God is about and what God wants to do in and through you. It is, a, it is a beautiful thing to think of what God could do with someone who is absolutely sold out for him, submitted to him, sold out for him, and walks in great humility. We've seen it in the history of uh, Christianity, what God could do when someone is radically sold out to him. I'm not saying they're perfect. I'm saying we are sold out. God, my life is yours. All that I have is yours. And what James is trying to get at here is to do the same thing that Jesus was trying to get us to understand and that we should be and we need to be and we can be by the power of the gospel, by the power of his Holy Spirit to be disciples who make disciples. That's what you were created for and that's what I was created for. And so James launches into his book and says, hey, listen, you're gonna go through trials. They are going to come. And what I want you to do is I want you to see them as joy. And we're like, what, what, what are you talking about? He's like, listen, I'm gonna be in the midst of that trial with you. You're not going to be in that alone. I'm going to be in that trial with you, and I'm going to use it to refine you for your good and my glory so that I might use you, might use you to do great things. So I want you to embrace that trial. He also says, hey, listen, I don't want you to be just a hearer of the word and not a doer. I want you to hear what the word says, and I want you to follow through with it. I want you to follow the commands of God. If you love me, then you will obey me. That's what it says in 1 John. He also says, I don't want you to show partiality to other people. I don't want you to have faith and not it be demonstrated by your works. I don't want you to say, hey, I have faith, but then not show it. Okay? So faith without works is dead. Faith alone saves, but faith is not alone, as we have said several times throughout our series. And then he talks about using the tongue. I want you to use the tongue to build up and not tear down. I want you to have godly wisdom and not worldly wisdom. You ask me for wisdom, and I'm going to give it to you. That's what he says. Listen, I don't want you as a, as a disciple who makes disciples to speak harshly or quarrel or that be um, uh, uh, um, a demonstration of your relationship with other people. 
I don't want it to be a characteristic or a demonstration. I want you to speak kindly to those people, to, to others. And also, hey, I want you to take your plans and I don't want you to boast about what you're going to do here or there. I want you to submit your plans to me. And then two weeks ago, we talked about, hey, listen, are you a steward or are you an owner? Are you a steward or an owner? God has given us every good and perfect gift is from him. He has supplied everything that we need for this life. And he says, I want you to take that and I want you to use it. I want you to use it for his glory. So are we a steward or are we owners? And then last week, Ryan so beautifully broke down for us really some encouragement from James as we go through suffering. We looked at the life of Job and we looked at that encouragement that's found in verses 7 through 12. And in this week, what we're going to do is we're going to jump in to verses 13 through 20 as we close things out. It's interesting that James begins his book with prayer and then he ends the book with prayer. And so it's incredibly important for the disciple who makes disciples to see the significance and the priority of being a disciple who makes disciples and in the the place of prayer uh, in our lives. And, And so really the background of this text is really important. There are several reasons why people get sick in in today's society. Ultimately, all sickness, listen to me, ultimately all sickness is the result of general sin. There was no sickness. There was no diabetes. There was no cancer. There was no glaucoma. There was no any type of sickness you name. There was none of that before sin entered the world. So sin generally affects everything. It affects relationships and it affects everything. Sometimes in certain situations, there's ways that we live or things that we do that cause us to be sick because of a sinful lifestyle. That's certainly possible. And that's actually what's going on in this text right here in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. What I want us to do is I want us to look at the prayer life of a disciple maker. So a disciple maker's prayer life is really the title of this message as we close down the book of James. And I want you to go ahead and look at James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. And let me go ahead and, and read this for us, and then we'll break it down into three points. Here's what it says in verse 13. Verse 13 says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick, and the prayer and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Verse 19, my brothers, if anyone among you would wander from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings him back from back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Here's what I want us to take a look at right now is that the disciples' prayer life. The disciples' prayer life, number one, is is consistent, not situational. Is consistent, not situational. 
Here's, here's what we see in this verse right now. Look at verse 13. Verse 13, it says, Is anyone, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Right off the bat, uh, James is telling us right now, Hey, listen, if you're suffering right now, we already know from chapter 1 that we are going to suffer, that we're going to go through trials. We learned last week from Ryan through an encouragement that James encourages us through the power of the Spirit as we walk through suffering. And so here we have right now the disciples' prayer life is, is, is consistent. It's not situational. First and foremost, he finds himself suffering. What does James teach us to do? Then I want you to pray. On the other side of that, there is someone who is cheerful. He says, um, it, "Are you? Um, is anyone cheerful? Then let him sing praise. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. It is painful to worship through singing in my house on Sunday mornings. Thank the Lord for Molly to help us. Molly and Luke are helping us sing and get going. But I'm just telling you, if I like to sing and I like to sing loud, but I'm telling you, I, uh, I miss the gathering of the body and being able to sing uh, and lifting our voices to the Lord. Here's what he's teaching us right now. Listen, if you're in pain, if you're suffering, I need you to pray. And if you are happy and cheerful, listen, I need you to pray through song. I've got both sides of the spectrum. We've got the good, we've got the good over here, and we've got the bad over here, and I want you to go ahead, and I want you to lift your voice, Lord, because why? A disciple maker is prayer life, is characterized by a consistent, not situational prayers. And that's what we see in verse 13. There's really, there's really three reasons why we don't pray. It really comes down to three reasons, and here are the reasons right now. Number one is ignorance. Ignorance, the reason we don't pray is ignorance. What do you mean we're ignorant, Matt? What do you mean by that? The scripture clearly teaches us to pray. And when we don't pray, really what's happening is we are ignorant of the word of God. And that's dangerous. That's dangerous to a disciple maker. It's dangerous to, to, to a church. And, and so when we take a look at why we don't pray or why we're not praying, when the Bible teaches us to pray, then the reason we don't is because it's ignorance. Another reason we don't, we don't pray is, is because of arrogance. We don't pray because, you know what, we think we're no better. James has rebuked this over and over and over again, this sin of pride. It has ravaged the church and still continues to do that today. And what James is wanting us to do is to have that mind of Christ in Philippians chapter 2, that we esteem others better than ourselves. And the reason that we would not pray is ignorance, but it's also arrogance, thinking of ourselves more importantly than we should. That's one of the reasons. Another, another reason that we don't pray is we simply don't pray because we're shame, We're just shameful. We, we're, we're just overwhelmed over the things that we've done that we don't believe that God could come and forgive us. We just, we don't believe that he could do that. We don't pray because we're ashamed. Let me just sh share something with you really quick. Saturday uh, afternoon, which was would be last week by the time you're listening to this, uh, a friend called me up and asked me to come see his mother who was um, uh, really sick with cancer. And right next to the bed was her husband and we were talking and got to share the gospel with this family and um, watched this mother who is really sick just confess her, 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 her salvation and, and acknowledge that she believed in the Lord. And then I got to hear this man 
just be overwhelmed with shame for turning his back on the Lord for 52 years. And then I got to hear him look at me and ask me, can he be forgiven? And I said, yes, because that's what the Bible teaches. And I got to see firsthand him overcome his shame by him placing his faith in Christ. I, I, I think that that was a beautiful thing. Let me tell you this right now. Don't let the things that you are so shameful of keep you from the God who loves you more than anybody in this world. There is nothing that you have done that he did not know or does not know. He, he loves you passionately. Listen, listen. Let our lives be demonstrated as disciple makers. Let it be demonstrated by a consistent and vibrant prayer life, not just situational. Oh man, things are good. I'm going to thank God. Oh, things are bad. Oh my gosh, there's no atheists in foxholes. We call on God when things are really bad. Let our life, let our lives, Northwest, have balance. Let our prayer lives have balance to where we are in a state of constant calling out to God that we do not cease to pray, as it says in Thessalonians. So that's what we see in, in first and foremost. So may our lives as disciple makers be consistent and not situational. Second thing, a disciple maker's prayer life is in community, is in community. This is really important. I want you to see what, what took place in this text. First and foremost, we have someone who is sick. And so what does James teach us to do? James says in verse 14, I want you to look at verse 14. What does it say in verse 14? In verse 14, he says, um, if he is sick, I got to find it. Hold on. Let him sing praises. Okay. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. In the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. James asks if there's anyone that is sick. And he says, what I want you to do is I want you to call on the elders of the church. And here's what we understand right now. The prayer life of a disciple who makes, makes disciples is demonstrated and even more powerful in as it is fleshed out in our lives and in the life of our church when it is not personal, but it is in community. You see, here is someone who is caught in sin and he is sick because of that. And it says, hey, listen, if you're in that situation, what I want you to do is I want you to call the elders of the church to come over and I want them to come over and pray over you. What that means is God never meant for you and I to live this life alone. And if the coronavirus can teach us anything, we want to be around people. Even you introverts out there, we want to be around people. We need each other to spur each other on to love and good deeds. And, and, and James is is looking at this and going, hey, listen, if, you, if you're sick right now, and then what I want you to do is I want you to call the elders of the church. That is an indication that you are in community with other people. And listen, the community that we surround ourselves with, known as the local church, is greatly important for us living a life of as a disciple maker. And our prayer life, our prayer life takes on a whole new meaning when we join together with other believers and we lift up his voice. There's, there's really nothing like it. He also comes down to verses 19 and 20. Verses 19 and 20. Go down there. We're going to skip down there. It says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth 
and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from the death and will cover a multitude of sins. We have to understand that James uses the word prayer over five times in verses 13 through 20. Verses 19 and 20 are under the context that this is all still about prayer. And he's saying, hey, if you know someone who is wandering, you're going to know that. You're going to see that through prayer. You're going to understand that. You're going to know what to say. You're going to know how to say it. And your responsibility as a disciple maker is to go after that person. Why? Because you're in community with each other. When you're in community with each other, you can help people see, maybe who don't see, dangers that are before them, dangers that are in front of them, so that they can be brought back. And he said, that's what we want to do. We want to be in community with each other. Um, That's what the Lord wants us to do. Sometimes you can take a look at this text and you can sit there and say, well, oh, they came over the house and they anointed him with oil. What does that mean? What does it mean? Well, oil in the scripture um, really was for medicinal purposes. So it was treated as, as the, the oil that they used was treated, um, was used for medicine. In addition to that, the oil that was used was sort of a symbolism of the Holy Spirit, meaning you are praying, we're asking the Spirit of God to come down, and we're asking the Spirit of God to heal you. Listen, we understand something right now. It is not the prayer of the elders or the oil that is used in the anointing that heals someone. It says right here that the Lord will raise him up. It is the Lord who heals. And we also have to understand that in a community of believers, when we're in community of believers, we will see people who will get healed. And we will see people who won't get healed. And it is in that community known as the church, community of faith, known as the church, but not just limited to the church in terms of um, larger believers in other places of your life. We, we see this is a place where God uses this uh, situation to, to heal this man. But, but let's make it very clear that this is not an endorsement of saying that if you pray this and if you do this, you're guaranteed to be healed. We know. You know in your life and I know in my life. We pray for someone, like I said earlier, they get healed and some people don't. And what we have to do is we have to trust. God, we submit ourselves to your will. We give this situation to you. This is yours. He is yours. She is yours. We give them to you. You know what is best. And he always does. He always knows what is best. And we have to trust him. How do we get to that place to know that? How do we get to that place to understand that? How do we get to that place to accept that? We get to that place through prayer, especially amongst the community of believers, because a disciple maker's prayer life is consistent, not situational, and it is in community. And the third thing is it's it's confessional. Take a look at what it says down there in the, the latter part of the verse, in verse, verse 16. Take a look at verse 16. Verse 16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another, Therefore, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So therefore, we have like this. He says, therefore, you pray for someone. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to confess your sins to one another. Confess your sins to one another is another example of being in community with each other. There's some times where I've sinned against you and I need to make it known to you. 
sometimes where I have sinned and I don't need to go before the whole body and confess that, but I do need to go to someone and say, hey, listen, I just need you to know, keep me accountable. Let me just let you know that I, I've done this and it's wrong. It's not right. And so there's great, there's, there's great freedom to do that, but he's encouraging us to confess our sins. One thing we have to realize about sins and in regards to a holy God is that God is going to punish sins and he's going to pardon sins, but God never condones sin. Listen to me, make sure you hear that. God will punish sins and he will pardon sin, but he will never condone it. And what James is teaching, that the disciple maker who, who, who has a prayer life, that his prayer life is marked, his prayer life is marked by a constant state of confession, of being clean before God, of having a right relationship with God, of being in good standing with God, and that is through the confession of our sins. Again, God will punish sins and he will pardon sins, but he will never condone sin. I have a quote for you. God is pleased to use our prayers to accomplish his purposes, and he delights in answering our needs, but he is never bound by our prayers. God's power alone is greater than ours, so we rely on him. I, I I think he is, it's, it's important for us to see the example that he used here in verse 17. He uses Elijah. Elijah is in, I think it's first, uh, 2 Kings chapter 17. He goes down by the brook and, and God comes to him and says, Hey, listen, there's going to be no rain. There's going to be a drought. There's going to be no rain. And the rain will come when you pray. The rain will come when you pray. And so here it is. Elijah goes and he, he declares that there's going to be a drought. And then what takes place after Elijah prays to God? What takes place? What does he go and do? Elijah goes before the prophets of Baal and Asherah and absolutely watches God destroy all of them. And then Elijah takes this, this wood pile and he soaks it in water and he dumps water all over it and there's so much water and it's pooled up around the side and he says, Oh God of heaven, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known that this day that you are the one and true God and only God. And the Bible says it, it, the fire came and licked up the wood. It licked up the water on the wood. I mean, unbelievable power demonstrated right there. After that took place, Elijah goes and he's in a cave and he declares, hey, rain is coming. And it, it, um, it rained after a three-year period. Here's what we see in this text right now. We're looking at someone, Elijah, who is just like us. Listen, Elijah was a disciple who made disciples. He was passing on what he knew. Okay? He is standing up for the Lord. And he came to the Lord in great, great prayer. And in the power of his prayer. And then, and then we, can, we can see that. And it's, it's so beautiful. So, so what are the, some of the things that we learn? What is our conclusion here as we wrap up our time together today? What do we learn? Here's the question I have for you. James, the half-brother of Jesus, just confronted our commitment to God. In plain and simple Northwest, I've got to ask you a question. Are you committed to the God of the universe? Do you have a personal relationship with God that is made possible through Jesus and not your good works? And if you do, what in your life 
in regards to a disciple who makes disciples needs to change. And then what this week are you going to do about it? I, I would say this right now. The gospel is a declaration that the power of God is available to you and I to live the life that he's called us to live. And James is wanting to confront us. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't, don't be a hypocrite. Don't, don't say one thing and do another. Don't be that person. Nobody wants to be that person. What I want you to be is I want you to be a disciple who makes disciples. I want you to tell people about your faith and I want you to live it out loud. And I want you to do that for your good and His glory. Because that's what we exist to do and that's what we exist to be about. Be disciples who make disciples. Jesus told us to do that. His half-brother, um, James, told us to do that over five chapters. Pretty boldly, I might add. And I pray that each of us have made progress in our walk with him over the last couple of weeks. I love you guys. Can't wait to see you soon. Take care.